Eat Place Sleep podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country whose lands were never ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Hey mummies, welcome to Eat Place Sleep, the podcast for all the families out there looking for all the answers. No matter where you are in your parenting journey, whether you're experiencing the highest of highs or the lowest of lows, we can help you realize that you're not alone. I'm Claire, mum of two and a certified sleep consultant and school teacher. And I'm Alana, mama of two and a school teacher. Pop your headphones in and join us along with our favorite experts to discuss all things eating, playing and sleeping. It's time to spill the tea. Today is an episode I wish we had recorded prior to my labor. There's so many different pain relief options that you have and some that I'd actually never heard of and some that I'd heard of but didn't really know too much. So today I'm super excited. We're going to be introducing a midwife called Holly and we really hone in on basically a hierarchy of pain relief starting from that low all the way up to the top tier level of pain relief. Yes, I loved this chat and totally agree. One that would have been so much more valuable pre-labor, but now I guess we can also come to the conversation with our own experiences and I guess a perspective that we wouldn't have had. So I guess that's the upside of having it now. Yeah, no, that's actually a really valid point. Um, There's nothing like bringing in your own personal experiences. They're so valuable because you know all the things that you did through two different labors. And look, maybe you just have to go for a third so you can experience something different. I know I've got a boy and a girl as well. So I feel like I just want the lucky dip experience of not knowing. (laughs) Are you going for three now? That's news to me. No, 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 no. Okay. Before we get into that conversation, let's hear our highs and lows of the week. My high this week is I'm just getting into the Christmas spirit. I went into TK Maxx today and went a little bit crazy on Santas and random things for my house. I just love this time of year. I honestly was a reincarnated elf. I just love Christmas. So I'm feeling very jolly and very excited for December. I actually don't even have a Christmas tree yet because we moved in between last Christmas and this Christmas and last Christmas we were away so we never set up a tree and this year I'm just really excited to buy a Christmas tree because we had a really cheap kind of crappy old one but now I'm sort of like okay I'm ready to buy the good family Christmas tree that I've been wanting for ages. And you're going to need to buy a baby gate or a like a playpen to put around your Christmas tree because we're going to have crawling babies by Christmas, I would think. Well, actually, it's funny you say that. My mind kind of went to the toddlers, but no, you're right. The crawling babies are more hazardous to the tree, but I'm also a little bit worried about Flynn with all the baubles and how many things he will pull off and throw. It might be one of those trees you see online where the all the beautiful things start from above Flynn's head height up, so they're just out of reach. Yes, it will be a naked tree from like a meter down, definitely, and a dog. So we definitely need to keep all of the expensive glass ornaments at the top of the tree for sure. Give us your low for the week. So my low for the week is very recent. I wouldn't really say it's my low of the week, to be fair. It's probably my low of the 
evening um just to put some perspective into things i guess but we recorded this podcast at 8 p.m at night we had a um book time with our lovely guest holly and my kids are usually both down by 7 7 30 at night no issues at all generally um but of course tonight was the night that it was really difficult for sadie to get to sleep so i ended up getting her down at 7 57 and quickly picking up all of my recording stuff running downstairs and trying to madly dash onto zoom before holly got there and of course i was the last one to the zoom meeting but we got there and i'm proud we made it at all and speaking of potential technical issues, um, our lovely Holly, she crashed mid-podcast and came back on her phone like an absolute champion. So we apologize if there is some slight differences in her audio recording, but the information she was giving us was incredible. So there was no way we could cut her off. So today we are super excited to introduce Holly. She is a midwife from the family room in WA. Holly has been a midwife since 2012 and she's worked in both city and country hospitals. Um, and Holly's actually an endorsed midwife. So that means she's got some extra qualifications and Holly can do ultrasounds. She can write scripts and she can even order bloods. Holly has recently added baby massage to her qualifications, and I love your holistic view on supporting families transitioning into parenthood. So welcome, Holly. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So Holly, when we start our episodes, we like to ask our guests a would you rather. Usually they're two pretty dire options, but we've given you a really nice one today. Since we're talking about pain, I thought we'd better balance it with a little bit of something luxury as well. So would you rather have a personal chef for a whole month or have an all expenses spa retreat for a weekend? Oh, that's a really tricky one. I'm going to go for the spa. And just jam pack that weekend full with every single yeah. treatment you can yeah, manage. No sleeping, just massage. <laughs> Do you know what's so funny? When I was thinking of this, would you rather? I was trying to think how many weeks would I need to put the chef for me to take the chef over the retreat? And I honestly thought I started with a week and I was like, mm, up the ante, do a fortnight. Then I was like a month and I thought about it. I was like, I feel like the spa still sounds better. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. For me as well, like at the moment, I'm like, I kind of just have like meal delivery. So I'm not really cooking much anyway. So it probably wouldn't make too much difference. And do you know what? If you have a chef, I'm still home with the chaos. Whereas if I'm at a spa retreat, I'm away from the kids. Love them, but a weekend away sounds amazing right now. Yeah, that's very true. So funny. Well, Holly, we chatted recently and we're super excited to get into this content today because one huge thing that came up when we were talking was I was mid labor and I'm talking five, six centimeters dilated and I'm learning of pain relief options that I had literally never heard before. And I'm referring to sterile water injections, which we'll get to, I'm sure. But I just wanted to, I guess, start with the importance of having knowledge and the choices before we're in this situation where we can't think. Yeah, I think it's super important in terms of you can't actually really choose anything easily in labor. Like when you're in labor land, your brain just turns off. So trying to make thoughtful decisions and things that kind of align with, you know, how you've wanted your birth. If you don't know your options, you can't actually make that decision to the fullest potential. Uh, so I find it really, really important. 
I feel like this is where a lot of the time when we're birth planning or birth mapping, whatever sort of terminology we're using there, we're able to put in an idea of what we want, but then often in labor, it looks totally different or, you know, the dynamic shifts and we may want intervention when we hadn't previously thought we would, or what are your kind of thoughts around like the birth mapping planning process as part of preparing for our pain management? I tend to sit down and about the 30, 28, 30 week mark, do like a really big birth preferences appointment with people. Even if it's your first baby and you have no idea, you've not done a birth class, like I don't expect people to know everything that they want, but just to start thinking about, you know, what is important to them. And I usually talk about making like three birth plans. So plan A for everything is perfect. You know, you get the birth that you want. What does that look like? Plan B for like when things don't quite go to plan. So that's usually like induction. Or if you're just like, you know, I never wanted an epidural, but you know, if I go down that pathway, you know, what are the things coming to play? What are the choices might I have to like think about? Um, and then plan C for cesarean. So definitely, I mean, you don't really get much of a choice in terms of pain relief for a cesarean. You really want good pain relief. That's important. <laughs> super important for an operation. But just being aware, like, you know, you can have your ideal birth plan, but you also need to be confident in your choices if you're presented with something outside of that. It's nice to have that mindset of this is how I would like things to go, but also being very aware and open-minded that the baby and your health is the priority. So things might not go to plan and they might not be the way that you envision them. So rather than being thrown an absolute curveball, whether that's at 2am in the morning or, you know, it's not always an ideal time when our babies decide to come, but totally being equipped and knowing pros and cons you have the knowledge of the pros and the cons can people google these things is that something you wouldn't advise like where um, do we get the best information they definitely can but i just find google just gives you what you want to hear like if you type like, risks of epidural all you're going to see and get back are the really terrible things that may happen um, if you type benefits of epidural, you're only going to hear about the good things. So it's really good to talk to your healthcare provider. So your doctor or your midwife, you know, go to a birth class, like get some really reputable information. And then also like so many of my mums come in and go, oh, like I've heard about this thing that they do. You know, it might be like, um, like eye drops to baby as soon as they're born. And they're really like in a tizzy trying to figure out you know, like, what should I make a decision on? And I'm like, oh, that's America. Like, this is Australia. This, that's not something we ever do <laughs> as a routine. So having someone that knows you and knows where you're birthing to actually know what your options are going to be. Otherwise, you can just end up with some weird, weird things to <laughs> be thinking about. And sometimes we can be influenced by our friends as well and their experiences. I know I was one of my, um, one of the last of my girlfriends to have my first baby and hearing how positive um, a lot of our friends had an experience with an epidural sort of opened my mind to think, okay, well, that is an option and it sounds like a pretty good one. You know, it's kind of like a ladder. Like if you're like, okay, I want full out, you know, fairy lights, water birth, and you're playing, um, and that doesn't happen, then like, what's the next thing I'm going to use? Well, I might use some gas. Oh, I'm going to, you know, try a birth comb. I'm going to do different positions and you kind of just work your way. But if you don't know that your ladder has many rungs, you're just going to think, well, it's like nothing or an epidural. 
So there's mums that I see that come in and straight away are like, I just want a cesarean section. And we kind of go through what they're coming from and like the pros and cons and just that's what we book. There's always going to be things that pop up that are unexpected. You know, people like mums and you know partners are so amazing in terms of they've been so focused on this one outcome and all of a sudden they've got to like make a totally different plan. And at the end of the day, pretty much everyone I see who's felt empowered going into it, knowing all their choices comes out going, wow, that did not go the way that I thought it would. <laughs> Here we are. And I've made all these choices that I felt were mine instead of someone just telling me what to do. And that's so important to feel empowered. And like we are leading that birth journey rather than feeling like there's yeah, people dictating what we should or shouldn't do. In terms of that hierarchy or ladder of pain relief, what are sort of our really low intervention options and how does that kind of work up the ladder? So there's quite a lot of like the lower ladder rung um, options for comfort and pain relief that you can use pretty much all the way through. Um, so you don't kind of just have to use it and then you know, you, you take a step up the ladder and suddenly you can't, you've, you've lost access to that option. So things like even from 32, 34 weeks pregnant, being really aware of where your baby's positioned, um, not just head up or head down, but like, where is their back? How engaged are they? You know, is your midwife saying, oh, baby's coming into your pelvis on a funny angle or their posterior? Different things that can just give you clues about is there going to be any possible it's like a roadblock in terms of labor? So once I'm in labor, is there going to be anything that's actually going to make this more difficult, longer, harder, more painful? So there's positioning exercises that you can do from kind of mid third trimester that really encourage baby into what they've decided is their optimal position and there were some really good websites for that one of the most common ones that we refer people to is called spinning babies i know it well <laughs> right <laughs> um and then also once people are in labor if something's just not quite right like if it's really drawn out in like the early stage or like your active labor if you've managed to get to you know fully dilated and you're pushing and baby's just not coming down there's also really great exercises and positions that I've used as a midwife for mums in those situations to suddenly give baby the chance to reposition, to take pressure off mum's back or their hip or their pubic bone or wherever, wherever they're causing pain. And suddenly we're having a baby, like minimal intervention. It doesn't, it's not more testing or anything like that. It's just kind of thinking about different things you can just do at home. Are we talking like exercise balls as well as stretching? Like are they all things that work together for those kind of at home things? Yeah, so uh, like your Fitball comes into it. They have like this whole list. I think there's about a dozen things you can do kind of daily just to kind of keep your body like good to go yeah. <laughs> as possible. So just like things like staying hydrated, um, reducing tension through your body, um, getting like good sleep, thinking about the positions that you sleep in, that you sit in, that you stand in. Um, if you've already got a baby at home, like a toddler, you'll be preferring like one hip to pop them on. And we all know like you get like one bad hip and you've got your favorite hip. <laughs> yeah, you're totally lopsided. <laughs> totally. Um, so things like, you know, seeing chiro, physio, osteo, going for acupuncture, um, stuff to really just balance out each side of your pelvis. Because if one side's really tight and the other's not, then baby, what they thought was going to be a straightforward journey suddenly has like twists and turns they weren't expecting. <laughs> 
<laughs> I loved seeing my Cairo through all of my pregnancy. And that was one thing he would talk about is basically preparing your pelvis and preparing your body so it can naturally do its best thing. So it's, you know, quite low in terms of movement. People sometimes have the wrong idea about chiropractors, but very gentle movements to prepare your body just for the most natural course out. <laughs> Yeah, basically. And then, you know, going on from like just positioning things you can do through pregnancy and in labor, um, even just making sure you're rested, um, you're hydrated. If your body's not hydrated, then your body just can't work 100%, which makes everything more painful because your body's working harder for the same result. Making sure that your bladder's empty. Uh, so at least going to the, the toilet for a wee, like every couple of hours. If your bladder's in you're full um it's in the way of baby that can like give you pain as well and also slow things down because it's literally a little balloon holding baby up when you have your period what do you do if you get cramps like do you naturally go for the the panadol for the like the favorite tv show just to kind of to take your mind off things do you go for hot packs and they're really good things to bring into play because it's a very similar muscle action when you're in labor uh, so kind of just thinking about things you've already done to give you a bit more confidence that you can actually manage this. And they're probably things that you know are familiar to you. As you say, they're things that you do because you know that they already work for your body. Yeah. And a lot of people just go, oh, like I didn't even think about how similar these things are. And I'm like, well, yeah, like, you know, you when you have a period, your cervix opens a little bit to let your uterus lining out. And when you're pregnant, your cervix just keeps opening because it's got a baby to let out. Yes, so funny. I remember with my firstborn, I was induced and I was on the bouncy ball. It was at the very beginning of the induction process. So I don't believe they'd started the oxytocin, but they'd broken my waters. And I was on the bouncy ball and there were two midwives in the room. And I remember saying to them, super happy, sort of in a, you know, really kind of excited, ready to meet my baby mood. I turned to them and said, this is just like a period cramp. And they looked at me and they were like, yeah. <laughs> and you could just see all over their face that they were thinking she has no idea what she's in for. It's coming. It's on the way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Such a funny memory. But yes, it is like that sort of cramping period feeling, but obviously it intensifies a lot more through the labor process. And I think the good thing about contractions when you compare it to a period is those period cramps can hit you hard and fast with no warning. And you know they can hang around for ages or they can just be like a lightning bolt and disappear. Um, whereas with contractions, at least once they get kind of established, you can predict when they're coming. So you can kind of like psych yourself up for, come on, like after this, I get like another four minutes break, like we're all good. So that definitely helps in terms of you're not just going from nothing to like crippling pain. I remember my midwife saying, every contraction, you're one step closer to meeting your baby. And I thought every contraction, I'm one step closer for screaming at you to bring my epidural. <laughs> 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 it's, it's such a mind game as well which is where some of the like the pain relief techniques rely more on distraction than actually like just turning off the pain <laughs> yes um, because if we can get our brains to cooperate then you know suddenly we can deal with it and can we deep dive a little bit more into the specific pain relief options so we sort of have spoken a little bit about those low intervention ones what about some of our more i guess when you're up the ladder a bit further and really needing some more relief 
Yeah, no worries. So once you've kind of got through all those like lower level options, also looking at things like TENS machines, which are ones that you hire. Usually I don't think oh, I've not heard of any hospital that supplies them. Um, amazing for distraction are really good at telling your brain different signals so that it's not all focusing on what's happening in a contraction. Looking at things like there's acupressure points that your partner can like press on depending on what you're needing. Um, and that can be really fantastic. Yeah, so there's amazing midwife and Eastern Chinese medicine practitioner over East. Uh, her name is Deborah Betts. She's got her own website uh, and she has developed, I think the, the only kind of guide to this that I'm aware of. Um, it's a free downloadable booklet and it's acupressure in labor and birth. Um, she's also got one that's, I think, acupressure in pregnancy. And it's basically, there's a few spots, there's a half a dozen. There's one on your hand there's a couple on your ankle there's some on your sacrum and they do different things so if someone's like really nauseous and is like vomiting lots with each contraction there's ones for nausea and vomiting also really useful for your morning sickness but then there's also ones to promote blood flow to the cervix to regulate contractions um so kind of depending what the biggest issue is um there's kind of different focuses Definitely something that you want to be practicing before you're in labor though. Yeah. Um, because if your partner is like trying to figure out where's this bit on your body and is just poking around when you're in contraction, that's just not going to end well. Then they're <laughs> going to need pain relief. <laughs> I can vouch for this. My last acupuncture appointment when I was pregnant, they said, bring your hubby in and we'll show him how to do it. And yes, it was amazing. And then getting them to practice because they're generally points that just feel so relaxing as well and like relieve a bit of pressure or pain or yeah definitely recommend that i i loved that and so once you kind of step up from that stuff um then this is where usually probably going into hospital for the rest of these so this is kind of where your next rung would come through and that would probably be uh, your nitrous gas um so that's a combination of nitrous and oxygen uh when we breathe normal air that's about 21 percent oxygen uh, and so in combination with nitrous it can be anywhere from like 90 percent oxygen down to about 60 percent so regardless of how much nitrogen you have you're still going to feel really woozy because you're getting so much more oxygen also great though if you're just really like if you're hyperventilating and you're a bit scared it gives you something to focus on for your breathing and then the nitrous also helps kind of disconnects your brain from the physical sensations you're feeling so you know this still totally sucks but you can't really focus on how much <laughs> in the moment <laughs> um and it works really quickly so it works within a couple of breaths so when you start to feel that cramp or that contraction coming on you start having your big breaths um and then as the contraction's going away, you take your mouth off, start breathing room air again. Within a few breaths, you're back to yourself. Do you find that this works for everybody? Because I remember not loving the feeling, but maybe it was doing what it was meant to be. But being a control freak, maybe I didn't love that out-of-body experience. So some people do get a little bit nauseous with it, which I think, again, is the high oxygen kind of making you a bit woozy and floaty. For some people, that's just too much. I have had a couple of mums hallucinate a little bit with this one. Not that it was necessarily a bad thing. 
yeah, probably. <laughs> so you were quite, quite happy about it. <laughs> um, but some people will literally just have a couple of puffs and just be like, oh, no, and like throw it across the room. Like they're just like, I can't do that. That's yeah, horrible. that was exactly me. I, I spat it out and my mum kept putting it back in my mouth saying, oh, you dropped this, you dropped this. Oh, no. I think some swear words came out, but I couldn't really articulate that I, I was hating it. Yeah. <laughs> So really important if you're using gas that you're also, you know, sipping on some water, probably in between every contraction um, and make sure you've got some lip balm handy as well. Depending on how your labor's going, um, what your baby's doing, all that stuff, sterile water injections might kind of be like next rung on the ladder. So these come in super handy if your baby's in what we call a posterior position. So if baby's spine is against mum's spine with a contraction that puts a lot of pressure of like baby back onto mum's back. And this is where people just go, oh my goodness, like this is just giving me so much back pain. Uh, and for a lot of us as women, if we've dealt with period cramps, we're usually okay at dealing with, um, you know, at least like the start of labor, but you add in back pain on top of that. And we're just like, no, <laughs> this is not happening. So sterile water injections are intense, but very effective. So it's exactly how it sounds. It's sterile water injected with a super fine needle, pretty much where mum says like that's where it hurts the most in a contraction. So there'll probably be one point on each side of the spine um, that she'll be like, oh my goodness, like that just really hurts across there. Um, there might be just two water injections or there might be four. Uh, you always have another midwife doing this kind of just like getting your ears pierced you get it done at the same time you don't go one ear then the other <laughs> so you have two midwives they have it's a tiny amount it's less than one mil just underneath the skin it's not really injected further like into tissue or muscle and half a mil of water is probably injected anywhere from like a quarter to a half a mil it should make the skin like bubble up. It stings. And that's the magic of it is that it's so distracting that your brain forgets the contraction pain. <laughs> so the pain is a good thing. It's not like this is going wrong. I'm in excruciating yeah. pain. It's distracting yeah. you from, okay, sounds yeah. horrible. Um, doesn't <laughs> sound for me, but it's interesting because the reason we got onto this, um, as I mentioned before, is I've had two pregnancies, you know, two labors, two births, and it wasn't till I was in this painful moment that I heard about this. So I think that's why it's super important to to go through all of your options and hear the pros and cons. Um, is the only con, I guess, the excruciating pain of the water going in? Yeah, so I've actually had them done on myself um, more just because we were learn like when I was learning how to do them. Um, and like it was it was this really like big intense like stinging pinch then it was okay the only thing i can kind of compare it to is when i got a bee sting when i was a kid it was just like this oh my goodness and then after that i was like oh that really hurts i don't like that i did have a bit of a back injury at the time so when i got this i was like i wonder if this will do anything oh my goodness i it was amazing <laughs> because there was so much weird sensation and our brain pays so much more attention to what's happening in our skin because that's usually where super important sensations are relayed to our brain. Then suddenly like the, the bit of back pain I was having, I was just like, oh, I feel fine. Like this is great. I just do this all the time. 
and it works the same in labor so if someone's got really bad uh, posterior back pain because their baby's in a posterior position um, they get the sterile water injection so two midwives doing it at the same time within one contraction they're just like oh that back pain's gone away and they just have this smile on their face and they're like yeah that stinging thing is really annoying it's so much better so how long would that last it varies it takes kind of up to two hours for the water to just be absorbed by the body and because it's literally water it can just be given again (laughs) so if baby you know moves lower because you know labor is progressing uh, but that back pain kind of travels down with baby you can just do it like wherever mum says it's sore. Um, there's no kind of need to do it in a specific place or only a certain dosage. Mm, that would be the beauty of it, isn't it? Because it's not medicated. There's no real medical risk, I imagine, with it. It's more yeah. just... You just have yeah. to know what you're doing. Like you don't want to inject it into like muscle or somewhere where it's just not going to be effective. I think you've kind of sold me on it. You've oh, definitely right. <laughs> changed my view on it. I just think... I was thinking it was just that initial pain and then I thought then we're back in labor pain but you're feeling benefits for quite a while and then you can just do it over again. Yeah I think once I I figured out how much it helped me in terms of like back injury and had this and I was like man that's such I wanted to like punch a pillow (laughs) then I was like oh it's fine. And does this also work for our contraction pain or is it really just targeting back pain specifically? Yeah, really just targeting the back pain. Um, the the nerves that are telling the brain that, hey, something in your back is really, really wrong, which is why you get like your pain response. It's only those nerves that can also be affected by the water injections. The nerves that go around to your uterus to tell, you know, your uterus to contract, but also tell your brain that, hey, there's a sensation here you need to pay attention to they're too deep to be affected by their water injections. So that's where something like a TENS machine comes in handy because that gives your brain kind of constant distraction. Um, so it just kind of interrupts the, the messages getting back to your brain about like the contraction sensation. Um, so instead of, you know, 100% of the, the messages getting back to your brain being like, oh, this contraction's happening and this is how it feels, it suddenly only 60% of those messages are getting through because your brain's like, what is that weird prickly thing on my back? I need to pay attention to this. So yeah, like TENS machines and sterile water injections work in a a very similar way. Um, They're both using what we call the gate theory. So kind of opening or closing a gate for like distraction. So I'd actually say that morphine injections are probably the next step on the rung. This is something that's left definitely not as popular or as common as it used to be, um, just because epidurals these days are a little bit more efficient. Um, they're pretty effective uh, and they also don't have the same side effects as what opiates can give you. With morphine, it is an opiate, so it's a very strong medication. It's often something, if it's going to be given, that it might be given more in early labour if someone's had like a really long early labour stage and they just need a break and just get some rest. It does cross the placenta, which is why epidurals are now more favoured these days, but it is also can be super effective. So with morphine, it is like an injection. (laughs) <laughs> it can make you feel a little bit queasy. So a lot of the time it's also given with like an anti-spew kind of medication. 
And then for people that might choose to have morphine when they're in labour, the recommendation is just to have an internal check done first because it does cross the placenta and it stays in your bloodstream for about four hours. So if you're close to having baby, the midwife or the doctor will not like give it just because we don't want baby to be born with a lot of morphine in their system because morphine is also a respiratory depressant, which means that it can slow down breathing to start with. And obviously we want baby to come out and be screaming and crying and doing all those things. So if we see it used these days, it is usually more in the context of like early labour or like before that kind of five centimetre mark. Yeah, so it can wear off in time. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, the rung above that I would say is an epidural. So some people use epidural or spinal kind of interchangeably. With a spinal, that's what is the technical term for what's given with a cesarean section. Obviously, with a cesarean, it's an operative birth. So we really want you to be knocked out pretty much from your baby bump down. Whereas an epidural is a little bit lighter because we still want you to be able to have some movement and when you're ready to have a baby to be able to push. Uh, So there there is a slight difference in terms of a medication. With an epidural, the anaesthetist inserts everything they have to insert, but a little tiny tube is left behind in your back. So you get ongoing like low dosage pain relief with as with a spinal, it's needle in, medication given, needle out, Band-Aid. Um, so there's nothing left behind because you should be kind of out and in recovery within a couple of hours and a spinal will definitely cover you for that. Yeah, so. that's interesting. I just was going to say I remember having the ice test um, with my epidural yeah. where my midwife would come and put ice up and down my body and she was able to see okay, wow, we need to rotate you. Um, It's getting way too high or we need to turn this down. Um, And I thought it was such an interesting way to test such a intense, you know, pain relief option, but it worked really well, but I could still feel that pushing and all of that. So it makes total sense that they are slightly different because you don't want to be feeling much if you're having a cesarean section. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And some people think that, oh, like if I have a cesarean, I don't feel anything. Um, which isn't the case, a spinal can only do so much. So you still feel pressure changes. You still feel maybe movement as they're going in. You know, if baby's really stuck up under your ribs or in your pelvis, you know, there will be movement. (laughs) So there's no real chance that you're not going to feel anything if you have a cesarean with a spinal. And then some people will also be in labour, have an epidural, and then for some reason need to go on and have a cesarean. Uh, And in that case, the anaesthetist will just come and use the epidural tube, give you extra medication down that to get the same effect as having a spinal would give you. So in my first labor, they accidentally gave me a spinal of sorts because they placed the epidural, I believe, just slightly in not the wrong place, but in a place that made it more of a spinal than an epidural. Um, It wore off over however long, a few hours, an hour or so, and then they redid the epidural. Have you heard of that before? Is that quite common? I wouldn't say it's super common, but it definitely happens. Everyone, like even though, you know, all the textbooks will say, you know, this is where your spinal column is, this is all the layers around that, this is where your bones are, even though we're all told this is exactly where this part of your body is, that's not actually the case when it comes to real life. 
Um, so for some people, you know, just even looking at how some people, how their vertebrae move in their spine when they bend, um, if someone has like a bit of scoliosis or has had like a back surgery or a fracture or anything like that, sometimes that will kind of guide the anaesthetist's decision in terms of placement. Um, and then for some people, it just isn't super effective. So, yeah, for some people do get like a really strong block where, you know, you can't move your legs, you can't feel your toes, you really can't do much of anything but then it wears off and then it's not effective after that. So that definitely happens. It's not super common, but it happens enough to you know, for us to know it's a thing. With an epidural, on average, it kind of takes about half a dozen contractions for you to start feeling really like, okay, like I can manage this now, we're good. It can wear off a little bit, but that's usually where the midwives will either top up your epidural or you get given a button to press every time you need to kind of top yourself up again. For some people, it doesn't work super effectively. So when the little tube is being placed, sometimes it ends up more to the right or the left side of your body, uh, like on either side of your spine. Some people have pretty good epidural coverage from their bump down, um, but they might have like one weird patch on their tummy somewhere that still has 100% sensation. And then for some people, it's not 100% effective. They're like, oh, look, it's better, but like I still hate it. And then also when you're pushing baby, it can really dull the sensation in your nerves to help you push. So yeah. you do have a slightly higher chance of just needing like a little suction cup or vacuum or something to help baby out um, just because it's it really does block your brain's messages to push for your muscles. Kind of like if you've been to the dentist and you walk out with like half a numb face and then you forget and you go to drink water and it just blah, spills all down your front. Without scaring anybody in terms of the risks of an epidural, obviously we know that there are risks, but they're not super common, are they? Um, I've actually been really fortunate not to see any like really life-altering side effects from epidural. I don't actually know the numbers off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure it's one in 100,000 will have life-changing nerve differences. So that's usually where we're talking about nerves that are damaged in an epidural or like you know, sometimes they can be like infection and these things are done under like super sterile conditions. Yeah. Um, but sometimes things just happen in our body that we can't control. So, you know, if there's infection, that can cause problems, that can cause inflammation around nerves, which also stop them working. More commonly, um, sometimes the placement of the epidural or the spinal can just go kind of one layer too far into the layer that holds your spinal fluid. And if that little layer has a hole in it and starts letting spinal fluid leak out, then that can give you what we call an epidural headache. And it's a really horrendous headache when your brain isn't surrounded by enough spinal fluid, then you start to get symptoms of pain. Um, it's usually not something that's noticed until the epidural is taken out, uh, especially when the person has been, you know, laying down, cuddling their baby, and then, you know, later is ready for a shower or to get up. And a lot of the time, you know, the first time you're hearing risks with an epidural is when you're mid-contraction, the anaesthetist has finally arrived and he's just reading you all these things quickly so that you can sign a bit of paper so he can give you an epidural. And most people are like, I don't care, I will sign it. Just get that thing in me. 
<laughs> um, and so, you know, it's only after people have a baby and go, oh, like, actually, this this is happening to me now. Um, yes, I was fun. recalling that moment where they're reading you the risks and you're sort of sitting there with like that cat arched back and you're just waiting for them to actually process it. You could not care less how how many thousand people get a migraine or whatever the side effect is in that moment, you will sign anything. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. And so that's something that to me, I'm like, I really feel like this is something that we should talk about more when people are pregnant. And I don't think it's like people are still going to make the same decisions, but then at least you can feel super prepared if something doesn't quite go to plan. You know, most people are discovering like all these side effects post-birth that they were technically told about, but when you're in labour and you're in pain, technically you're not actually in the mindset to provide informed consent. It's a really tricky grey area as well. Um, and we also don't want to go around and like make people sign consent forms for epidurals and caesareans when they're not in labour because that's also going to get into your head and just cause, you know, just change, possibly change the outcome of your journey and that's just not what we want. I said, why can't we just sign this before the labor? Because then at least it's done. But my husband said he wasn't just sitting there rambling. Like he was cleaning and he was doing things the whole time he was talking to you. So don't think that he was just sitting there wasting time. He was just doing it at the exact same time. I do think sometimes, like especially for people that are very much like I'm having an epidural, like I want that as part of my birth. You know, why don't we have like handouts to kind of go through you just to be aware these are the pros and the cons that the anaesthetist is going to talk to you about. Just read them through. We can ask, you know, answer any questions. And then if, you know, you end up having an epidural, then you've at least, you're pre-warned, I guess. Yeah. But or just come listen to the Eat, Play, Sleep podcast and you can hear Holly yeah. talk about all the pros and cons and we've just got all your information for you. Something I will quickly mention because I just realised I didn't actually mention this earlier is there's something called birth combs, which are becoming quite well known in the last couple of years. Um, And so that's one of like the lower rungs on the ladder. And that works the same way as like your sterile water injections and your TENS machines. Uh, So you get like a spiky comb or something similar. And just by like squeezing it into your hand when you're having a contraction, it's really good distraction for your brain as well. And again, something super low tech that you can use at any point and that's also something that's become popular I guess in the last couple of years or at least like a new technique that's kind of been brought into our our consciousness. I didn't use mine through the whole labor it was more in those initial stages of labor but I got mine from Target it was seven dollars and highly recommend because I remember looking at them specifically branded ones for birth combs and they were 30 40 50 dollars which I'm sure they are amazing as well but seven dollars Target get around it. Holly's Instagram is the.family.room.wa. I'll put some links in the podcast description and on her Instagram, you'll find a link to a 15 minute call. There's so much information on her page. So definitely go and check it out. And if you need any more information, yeah, pop into the description. So we'll put it all there for you. Thank you for joining us today at Eat, Play, Sleep. We hope you took something away from our chat today and remember we are all doing the best we can. If something is not broken, don't fix it. Our journeys are all so different and so are our children, so we shouldn't compare ourselves. If you liked what you heard today, 
please give us a subscribe and show us some love on our socials. See you next time.